0: WCNC Charlotte. This is
1: Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. We are now just days away from the 2024 primary here in North Carolina, but some recent laws passed by the General Assembly could change how quickly we see results on Tuesday night. Last year, Republican lawmakers in Raleigh passed new rules that change when early votes and absentee ballots get counted on election night. By delaying the count, you delay the results. But this week some folks online mistakenly claiming it's some sham by elections officials when in fact they're simply following this new law joining us now is the executive director of the north carolina state board of elections karen brinson bell karen welcome back to flashpoint nice to have you glad to be back thank you there are some changes to uh your process um thanks to a couple of bills passed by the general assembly what effect does, does that have on when races can get called on Tuesday night? Because I, I, I want to set expectations here um, that, that people think there's, there's nothing wrong, that this is the way it's going to be, uh, and, and this is intentional um, Tuesday. What's different?
0: Really glad you're helping us get the word out about this. Um, there was a change by the North Carolina legislature to the way that we report results. Uh, for, for a long time now, we have had the early voting results released at the same time as absentee by mail results, which would be at the close of polls, so it's typically 7.30 p.m. election night. And that's because we've held a meeting to tabulate those votes uh, on election day afternoon. The legislature changed that process. We will release the absentee by mail results, which will be the ballots for probably about uh 12,000 voters in North Carolina, maybe a little bit more, Um, but we have most of our votes uh, typically passed during early voting in North Carolina, and those results no longer can be released at 7.30 p.m. Instead, the legislature directed the county boards of elections that they will close and tabulate those uh, machines at 7.30 p.m., which will delay our ability to upload those results to the election night reporting website. Uh, so the county boards will be doing that as they close the election day polls as well and all those polling places across the state, which is about 2,500 locations. And we will just, as we can, upload the results from early voting and upload the election uh, day results as well.
1: What is your idea, what's your general estimate as far as how late that those early vote numbers will start coming in then as far as counting?
0: We're really not certain um, this is new for us, um, but obviously, you know, just to do that process even for a single early voting site is going to be, you know, probably about 30 minutes. So, you know, I think the earliest we will see early voting results released would be 8 p.m. Um, and then after that, when you consider that we have some jurisdictions, some counties that have uh, 10, 15, 20 early voting sites, uh, that's going to be a leapier process. And so it may be an hour or more, maybe even two hours, before we see those results um, posted for those particular counties, including um, you know our largest, Mecklenburg and Wake.
1: Understanding that you, you are paid to administer the law, not to make it, what, what was the sort of thought behind changing this? What did this remedy or what did this fix?
0: If we weren't uh, part of writing this legislation, this was not an ask by the state board of elections or the county boards of elections. So I can't give you the insight of why the legislature chose to insert this into uh, what was Senate Bill 747, which was about a 65-page bill that had other uh, changes to election law that we have implemented um, in a very short window of time from when it was passed in mid-October. Most of those are on the administration side, including this process of election night reporting, Um, but this is one that actually will be voter-facing, as we say. This one Uh, VOTERS WILL
1: NOTICE THIS CHANGE. Uh, ONE OF THE OTHER BIG CHANGES, ABSENTEE BALLOTS. Um, FOLKS HAVE TO MAKE SURE THAT THEY ARE IN AT THE COUNTY uh, ELECTION OFFICE BY ELECTION DAY. AS OPPOSED TO IN THE PAST, THERE WOULD BE A FEW DAYS LAG SOMETIMES, AND THAT COULD ALTER THINGS IF IT WAS A REALLY TIGHT RACE. Um, SO NOW YOUR ABSENTEE BALLOT HAS TO BE IN BY ELECTION DAY. Um, WHAT ARE YOU TELLING FOLKS TO to, to MAKE SURE THAT their THEIR VOTE IS counted?
0: yes uh for decades north carolina's deadline was really a postmark deadline of election day and then received uh three days after the election uh the legislature did change that and this is the uh, with this election we now require absentee by mail ballots to be in the hands of the county board of elections by 7 30 p.m election day uh, now that means the mail must have been delivered to the county board of elections or if you're uncertain, if a ballot will be delivered on time, then you need to hand deliver that to the County Board of Elections by 7.30 p.m. in order for that to be counted.
1: Uh, Back in 2020, it took a few days before there was a projected winner in the presidential race here. Uh, Given that we are such a competitive state, um, are you expecting possible delays again this November? Um, Or do you think some of these changes that you have just outlined for us uh, might prevent that and might help in reaching a conclusion a little bit faster.
0: You know, we are keeping in mind that right now we're dealing with a primary, so this is the nominating process, um, and and so typically what we're looking for here is are the results um, such that we would have a second primary in a contest where a, a, a candidate does not get thirty percent plus one. Obviously, as we go into the general election, North Carolina is a competitive state. And we've got some really significant contests on this ballot uh, this year. And you know we know we will have a new governor. We will have a new adger, uh, attorney general. We will have new members of the legislature and Council of State. We will have six new members of Congress. And that is just because we either have no incumbent or the districts are new. Um, and so you know, with those pivotal contests, with North Carolina having close elections um, forever, really, um, that, that's North Carolina. Um, and, uh, you know, we we will do what we can do to get the results out as quickly and as accurately as possible. Um, but we are going to go through the processes of the provisional ballots of you know, the military and overseas citizens actually do have a longer period of time to get uh, those ballots to us. And so with all of that, you know, it may come down to those very critical um, ballots and uh, we'll just have to wait and see okay. how competitive we really are.
1: Karen Brinson-Bell, the executive director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections, has got a big job this week. Thanks for coming on. We do appreciate it.
0: Glad to do it. Thank you.
1: Coming up later in the show, we're breaking down the top three congressional races to watch Tuesday night. But before that, Charlotte City Council hitting another stag in its fight over transit funding. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This week, the top leaders in the General Assembly making a visit to Charlotte. They're casting ongoing doubts about the future of the city's $13 billion transit plan. Tim Moore and Phil Berger want to prioritize roads, but that is not the direction most city council members see as the best option. Joining us now is Charlotte City Councilwoman Dimple Ajmira. Councilwoman, welcome back to Flashpoint.
2: Thank you so much, Ben, for having me again.
1: Um, a pleasure. Uh, leaders in the General Assembly, um, Republicans Phil Berger and Tim Moore, back in town this past week, um, and, and at least from the observer's standpoint. It looks like their position on transit has not changed at all. They're still saying rose first, um, realizing there are negotiations that happen behind the scenes. But it it doesn't seem like we're making any progress at all. We're still in the same place we were four years ago. Um, Is that a correct um, sort of review of the situation?
2: I would say yes, unfortunately. We haven't had much uh, progress. Recently, City Council approved our federal and state legislative agenda just this past Monday. So we will be going to D.C. to advocate for our, to advocate for federal legislative agenda items. We'll also be going to Raleigh to uh, advocate for state investments in our infrastructure and other priority items that it's on our state legislative agenda. But certainly, I think... BEFORE WE EVEN GET AN APPROVAL FROM GENERAL ASSEMBLY, uh, WE GOT TO MAKE SURE THAT WE HAVE OUR REGIONAL PARTNERS ON BOARD. AND THAT'S AN UPHILL BATTLE BECAUSE THERE IS A HISTORY, AS YOU KNOW, WITH OUR NORTHERN Mecklenburg TOWNS AND WE GOT TO GET THEM ON BOARD BEFORE uh, WE HAVE SOME SORT OF APPROVAL OR EVEN um, BEFORE WE EVEN GO SPEAK WITH OUR uh, SPEAKER OF THE HOUSE.
1: BUT I MEAN, THEY'RE EVEN saying. That's not even the litmus test they're using, though. They're not saying, hey, get buy-in from, you know, everybody up in northern Mecklenburg County and Iredell Counties and Union County. Th- they're saying, Republicans in Raleigh, saying this needs to be a roads-first plan. And I feel like Charlotte's plan, as, as y'all have talked about it, is not a roads-first plan, no matter semantics of how you want to change things. It, it, it's, it's, the bulk of it goes to rail
2: well it does because we have a combination in our plan we have light rail we have bus we have roads as well as greenways uh, pedestrian safety uh, networks so we have it all in our plan and we just can't do roads that's just not realistic because uh as growing one of the fastest growing cities we know that as we build more roads we we don't have a uh, capacity i uh i I don't know how to widen roads like providence and others we we have to look at other infrastructure investments like light rail uh, public transportation public transit bus and sidewalks and uh, greenways so i um it certainly feels like we are at gridlock right now it feels like um City wants something different than what state leaders are asking for, especially the ones that represent a rural area. And uh, in coming months and years ahead, we would like to continue to uh, work with our regional partners because by by no means we can do this alone. It has to be a regional plan in order to get the buy-in uh, from our state delegation.
1: Um, Switching gears now, this week, city leaders hearing about plans for the uh, Hornets um, that would basically um, build a bigger standalone practice facility in Uptown, uh, not over at the transit center, um, but instead in that in that parking lot uh, south uh, of the arena. Um, this is a change of plans from what you all had talked about for a while. Um, is this something you think council's gonna get behind?
2: I do see support from the council behind this proposal because we are talking about 80 to 100 million dollars private investment that new ownership is bringing in that was not part of the proposal that we had approved back in 2022. So that's great additional investments in our uptown additional investments in our sports and entertainment district. So that is a step forward. Certainly there are details that need to be worked out over coming weeks, but I do see as something, this is a significant investment uh, that will certainly help our hospitality industry in our region.
1: Um, City leaders still also in the process of putting together a budget for uh, next year. Um, And and there's a way folks can actively participate and chime in on this. Yes, we
2: have multiple budget workshops we have community sessions we have budget simulator online where you can help us balance the budget you can figure out where you would uh where you would prioritize funding and where you would eliminate and whether you would raise our property tax or you would not Uh, budget simulator helps you do that i have heard from residents they have spent days and days and still haven't been able to balance the budget it's certainly Um, IS SOMETHING THAT GIVES YOU AN INSIGHT INTO HOW DIFFICULT THIS PROCESS IS, WHERE WE ARE TRYING TO BALANCE MULTIPLE PRIORITIES. KEEP IN MIND, IN FIVE YEARS, LAST FIVE YEARS, CITY OF CHARLOTTE HAS NOT RAISED A PROPERTY TAX, BECAUSE WE UNDERSTAND THAT BURDEN IT PUTS ON FAMILIES AND IT'S ONLY uh, creates displacement, so we are very mindful of that as we balance our budget and as we invest in our key priorities like public safety, affordable housing, infrastructure.
1: Divya Lasmiira, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it as always.
2: Thank you so much, Ben, for having me.
1: Next on Flashpoint. Welcome back to Flashpoint. A Where's the Money investigation found the city of Charlotte has paid nearly two million dollars to help folks dealing with damages tied to the city's sewer system. And our Nate Morbido discovered the problem is only getting worse. With
3: enough miles of sewer to make it from here to Alaska, Charlotte Water has said logistically, crews just cannot proactively inspect the entire system. So the city tends to be reactive, paying up when a failure is found in their lines. Leaders even increased the maximum payout in recent years. But some believe the city needs to make prevention a bigger priority. Oh man, this is going everywhere. The sight. I literally heard her scream. The sound. It's raw. It was disgusting. The smell. <laughs> like. Of sewage.
0: It was everywhere. Like it, there was like no stopping it.
3: Overpowered Dwayne and Catherine Pennant. This was all flooded. All as their infant and toddler slept nearby. And it was flown in that room, which is our children's room. More than a year later. It interrupted our lives. The parents still feel overwhelmed. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired and, and I'm over it. Left with a bad taste about why.
0: We just don't want this to happen to anyone else.
3: In the hours before the Pennant's toilets and bathtubs spewed sewage, they heard gurgling noises. So they called out a plumber who found a clog in the city sewer line. But when Charlotte Cruz came out to clean it, the you know what? I said, hey, hey, what are you guys doing? hit the fan. It blew back. The tenants say crews pushed sewage back into their home, a failure in cleaning and they believe prevention. One that forced the family to spend the next month in a hotel. This is something that could be avoided with better maintenance. Public records show since 2018, almost 900 people have filed sewer blowback and blockage claims against the city. It seemed like everything was just destroy where where we're going to live last year alone. Charlotte water records show blockages nearly doubled.
1: It's a real thing. It's happening all the time.
3: Seth Wyatt says his small family plumbing business. (laughs) Receives three to four calls a day. Often tied to problems. On the city side of the sewer routinely caused by thirsty tree roots, rupturing the lines
1: and they will do just about anything to get water
3: especially worse when there's a drought.
1: When there's a lack of rain, the
3: the call volume goes up. Tree roots are only part of the problem though. This is preventable. Most blockages are at the kitchen drain. Charlotte Water spokesperson Cam Coley says customers are also clogging the lines over time. When they dump grease and wipes, the goal is to keep all the wastewater in the pipe. Regardless of the cause, It's the city's responsibility to keep the lines clean. Is the city doing enough to prevent this?
1: That is worked on every day. We are doing preventive maintenance when we're not responding to emergencies or sewer related uh, concerns. Coley says Charlotte Water
3: dedicates a team to inspect 600 of the city's highest priority lines. Is on pace this year to clean 20% of its sewer system up from the prior year and uses technology to monitor its lines. So crew's limited time is used efficiently. We're looking to clean where it's needed most. He says it all comes down to a balancing act between resources and priorities. What can the city do? I mean, the first step is admitting you have a problem. Council member Tarek Bakari believes leaders have failed to prioritize basic services. Those non-sexy but critically important things that's why he's calling for a strategic committee that can focus on infrastructure needs. We don't even know the size of the problem yet, so we have to size things out. That's all broken. Dependants say they now know the full scope of their problem. She was breastfeeding at the time, and the
0: level of stress,
3: she couldn't do it. She couldn't. Yeah, my produce. supply
0: just like and cut off.
3: After months of back and forth with the city.
0: Still, some days are are not good.
3: They finally agreed on a price to cover the cost and installation of a backwater valve to prevent this in the future, leaving them finally with a sense of relief. If you don't wanna take any chances, a plumber can install a backwater valve, but that will cost several thousand dollars. Either way, don't ignore the warning signs. If you hear gurgling noises or notice that your drains are slow to drain, call 311 immediately. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte.
1: Coming up next, we look at the big races come Tuesday. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Here are three races we'll be watching come Tuesday night. First up is the 8th Congressional District. This includes Union, Anson, a portion of Cabarrus County. Uh, If you head to North Carolina beaches in the summer, you likely drive through a, a lot of this area that we're talking about. In this case, Mark Harris, looking to make a comeback after a voting fraud scandal, rocked his campaign back in 2018. As you might recall, it made national news. You see his candidacy listed right here. Below that, another big contender, Alan Balkum, And then finally, John Bradford, another one to watch in this case. Uh, Another race we're watching, Congressional District 10. Now, this covers uh, Lincoln, Catawba, Iredell counties as well. Former candidate Pat Harrigan facing off against State Representative Gray Mills. Gray Mills represented right here, and then Pat Harrigan at the top here in yellow. Uh, This has been getting quite a bit of campaign ads that you've seen. And then finally, perhaps, honestly, folks, the the biggest toss-up of all, uh, because it could go any way, and this is in the 6th District. It now represents part of Rowan County and a portion of Cabarrus County as well. Former Congressman Mark Walker looking to uh, take back his old seat. He's up against former candidate Bo Hines, who's got some name recognition, and then also the Trump-backed candidate, in this case, lobbyist Addison McDowell. This one, This one could go either way, folks. And keep in mind, if none of these candidates win that 30% threshold of votes in their races, then we could see a runoff, and that would take place on May 17th. And Folks, come interact with us on social media. If there's something you want us to cover here on Flashpoint, let us know. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. We'll see you back here next weekend.